I'm reading two passages of the scripture and then I'll let you be seated. First is Psalm 68, 4 through 6. This should be familiar to you at this point. It is the scripture that our pastor has been springing from for this series that we're on called Why God Ordained the Family. Specifically in the last couple of Sundays, the uh, subtitle has been Will the Circle Be Unbroken? I'm going to continue talking about family today. Psalm 68. Let's read it together. Can we sit up there on the screen? Yeah, let's read it together. Ready? Begin. Sing to God. Sing praises to his name. By his name, Yah. Rejoice before him. A father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy habitation. God sets the solitary in families. He brings out those who are bound into prosperity. But the rebellious dwell in a dry. And then, hold on, hold on, hold on. Man, I've never seen people so eager to read the word of God. Praise God. We're in a state of revival. Uh, We read a bunch of those this morning, guys. I I probably gave you that. Let's stop. um, I'll tell you where to stop just a minute. No, no, let's go. Matthew chapter 6. Read this together. Ready? In this manner, therefore pray. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Kingdom come, your will be done on earth. We'll stop there. Okay. Give us this day, stop there, our daily bread. (laughs) Y'all want to just finish it? Come on. Give us this there and forgive us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, let the word of God do what it is capable of doing. We're We're telling you our hearts and our minds are open in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Before you're seated, high-five at least three people and tell them, Good Lord, you look stunning today. Have you had... What did you do? Come on, ask them. Have you had some work done? Did you find that little fountain of youth pill? What sort of magic have you stumbled across? (laughs) These two passages of scripture, I think, have a lot to do with one another. First of all, it tells us about the heart of God in Psalm 68. It says that God is a father to the fatherless and a restorer of the widows. It says he sets the solitary in families. It means that God makes sure. Listen to what that passage of scripture means. It means that God, his heart is to make sure that nobody has to exist outside of a family. And if circumstances, if tragedy, if whatever has rendered you in that place, God says, I'll make sure that you are covered. I'll get you back into a family. Then Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus, and incidentally, they came up on him while he was in the middle of praying. And 
obviously there was something impressive enough and impactful enough about watching him pray that the disciples stopped him and said, boss, you got to teach us how to do that. We, we, we know how to pray. We, we pray, but not like that. You need to teach us how to pray like that. And he said, well, this is how you do it. You say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Top of the list, highest priority, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. That's what I'm going to talk about today. Because, uh, and, and I'll tell you up front, hear this in this context. Because it's the context I believe it's meant to be heard in. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your portion of the earth that you should be considering when you pray this is your home. Can't change the world if you can't change your house. This means your turn. And I will preach as good or a little bit better than you respond. We, we got some gaps to bridge, right? I was, I'm, a, I'm a third generation Pentecostal boy. You know, testimony services when I was growing up, we don't do those anymore because they're dangerous. So many people, they don't understand what the word testify means. Doesn't mean, you know, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. The devil's been chasing me all week. That's not what we asked for. We ask for you to stand up and in 30 seconds, give God glory and magnify him and make us all want to serve him. People don't do that. But the two things that we did do, those, those that would, you know, like get right to it. There was always these two things. It was like, I thank God that I'm saved, sanctified (laughs) and full of the Holy Ghost. Okay. That's awesome. That happened when you were nine and you're 40 now. It'd be like me going to Brother Henry and saying, hey, what's God doing in your life right now? How are things going? He goes, man, it is going awesome. Watch this. And he pulls out his wallet and he starts showing me all of his baby pictures. Look how cute. I was a cute baby, man. Look at all that hair I had and all. I get that. But we're praying for Brother Henry, right? Something ain't right there. If, if the summarization of his life is defined by his birth. That means ain't nothing ever happened since he got saved. He ain't never had an encounter with God. God's never, he's never had a life changing, shaking moment. He's not had interaction. Come on, y'all. And then we jump from there to the other thing was before we'd sit down, it was always, and y'all just pray for me that I make heaven my home. Anybody ever been there? They do that in your church? No? Yes or no? How many of y'all decided before you came to church that you were not going to respond to anything I asked you to do? You already made up your mind. So, you know, so, so the jump was between, I thank God for the day that something momentous happened in my life. I got saved, born again, sanctified, whatever. And now my existence is defined by this. I pray that I make heaven my home. Listen. The goal for you is not getting to heaven. That's a done deal. If you're still worried about that, then that whole concept was not introduced to you in the right way in the first place. The goal for you is not getting to heaven. Heaven is trying to get to you. Didn't say pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Get me to heaven. 
There's an aggressive, assertive pursuit in that prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Look at your neighbor and say, stop trying to get to heaven. You'll get there in due season. But heaven, say it, don't spray them, don't spit on them, but look, say it with passion. Say heaven is trying to get to you. I got news for you. You were not created for heaven. Can I mess with your theology? Look, I'll look you right in the eye and bold face tell you, you were not created for heaven. If that was the case, you would have been created there. You were not created for heaven, but you were created for earth. And specifically Eden. Heaven is the realm of God and the domain of his holy presence. The earth is the realm of man and Edom was the one place where the two worlds touched. I feel like I should say that again. For all of you who just were reminiscing, did you turn the timer on on the oven? Heaven is the realm of God and it is the domain of his holy presence. And the earth, the realm of man, Eden specifically, was the one place where these two worlds touched. See, all of creation, when you read through all of Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, you'll find there's a pattern. It goes like this. God creates a particular environment. And then he creates a species to function and to, 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 to move in that particular environment. And whatever that species that he created does in that particular environment, that is the glory of that species. The glory, a fish has a glory. Listen carefully. I'm talking about presence and glory. They're not, they're not synonymous. They're two different things. The presence or pre-sense is an awareness of God's presence. Awareness of God. The glory is his attributes on display. So it's step two. The first is the awareness of his presence. The second is knowing how to let his presence convert itself to a display of attributes in your life. Everything created has a glory to it. The glory of a fish is seen when you put a fish in the environment that it was created for. Or the environment was created for him. The fish wasn't created for the environment. The environment was created first for or to facilitate and accommodate the fish so the fish could show forth its glory. Because every created thing has a particular attribute of God that it is to display. And it requires the environment that was first created for it to display that glory in. If you take a fish out of that environment and put him on the dock, he just flops around. He might not die instantaneously, but he's in trouble right off the bat. And he ceases to be able to do what he does. He flops around and, you know, but put him back in the, in the water and the genius emerges. And a fish does what only a fish can do. We can't do it. We need snorkels and compressed air and tanks and the whole deal. 
You could put a bird in a cage, but the glory of the bird is not on display. I know people have birds in cages and they're almost like decor. They're just like pieces of furniture in the house. Uh, uh, you know, some of them want them in their house because they can teach them how to talk and whatever. But a bird was not created for that. There is an attribute of God that is given to that particular aspect of creation. And in order for that attribute or that glory to be reflected or revealed, it must be in the environment that was created for it to manifest its glory in. So you got birds need some air under their wings. They're not made to sit in a cage and go, Polly want a cracker? Polly want to get they're made to get out there and spread their wings and get the wind under their wings and soar. So everything created was created with a suitable environment in order to manifest glory. The glory or the purpose of a thing is connected to the thing that comes natural to it. God matched, listen carefully, God matched atmosphere, say atmosphere, functionality, and purpose to be intertwined and inseparable. Thank you. Each time, listen carefully, It's at the end of every single day of creation, God creates an environment. And in that environment is the functionality. It is the atmosphere. It is the purpose. It's all intertwined. He creates the species to exist in that environment. And he steps back and says, it is good. Or in other words, it pleased God. The next day he creates another environment. And then he creates a species, a creation to exist in the environment. And he steps back and he says, God saw that it was good. It pleased God. In other words, it pleases God to watch his creation function in their purpose in the environment that he created for them to function in. Didn't do it any different. Listen, each time he saw that it was good. And at the end of the sixth day, Genesis 1.31, the Bible says, Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was good. And so the evening and the morning were the first day. It gives him pleasure. Psalm 90, 29, 1 and 2 says everything. Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due to his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Everything that God created is is to ascribe to its creator. To ascribe means it it is to show an attribute. It is to give tribute to its creator by fulfilling the purpose it was created to fulfill. Now listen, man's not any different. We have some bragging rights. Not really, they're not bragging rights, but we have some things, some specificity we can claim. And that is that nothing else that was created was created in the image of God in terms of the fullness. We were created in the image of God. We're the only part of God's creation that can claim that. We're not animals. We're not just higher forms of animals. We are made in the image of God, fashioned in his likeness. Come on, somebody. Say amen. So man was given a suitable environment. In the same way that the oceans were created, and then it was uh, all the things that fill it were created and put in there. 
and everything else. Man was given a suitable environment, and this is the environment. A garden filled with the presence of God from which to fulfill purpose. This is the glory of man. To rule in and through his house that is filled with the presence of God. Somebody say, that's heaven on earth. So your home and family, this is the crux of this message today. Your home, your family, that is your personal garden of Eden. Psalm 30, 11 and 12 says this. You have turned for me my morning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and closed me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing to you. Praise to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. And Psalm 57, 7 and 9 says it like this. My heart is steadfast, oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise. Awake, my glory. Whose glory? I think some of us need to be walking through our houses the rest of today going, awake, my glory. Awake, my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. Listen, we all should agree that the phrase, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is to say, God, let your presence invade and remain in my home, that my entire family can walk in glory and fulfill the purpose that you created us to fulfill. Somebody lift your hand and shout, restore the glory of Eden. God creates a space. And I know contrary to what, what some of us, we just assume because we never give it, we, we just don't talk a lot about the rest of it, is this. We assume that the whole world was developed. The Bible says that outside of the Garden of Eden, a shrub had not yet broken the ground. God had not yet even enacted the, the cycles of precipitation and rain and so forth. There was just a mist that came from the ground. So here, you, we dive deep into that if we had time here's what we would discover god creates a space on this earth it's the first manifestation of the heavenly temple manifest on the earth it is what the tabernacle in the wilderness was it is what the church is it is what it's the first of what the church is and what your home is a micro of the macro should be everybody go what let's talk about it he creates an environment. The environment is a garden. It's perfect. It's the perfection of heaven manifested on a yet undeveloped earth. And God saturates the garden with his presence. And then, we know it's then because when God created man, it said God put him in a garden that he had to past tense. He had created for him. So God creates and he gets careful, gives careful attention to creating the environment first, a perfect manifestation of the heavenly city. We'll get to that and puts it in the, on the earth and it's a perfect place and he fills it with his presence. Then he puts man inside of there and he steps back and says, it is good. It gave him pleasure. Now, what about that scenario was God saying it is good? Or what about that gave him pleasure? Well, he was the, 
Adam being a great father and a great husband. That hadn't happened yet. Well, his exercise of rule and dominion, that hadn't, we hadn't seen any of that yet. It was just Adam existing from the place within God's presence. Everything else with that as a precedent would become effortless. Including relationships, including his, his role as a husband and his role as a father. I know sometimes people assume that God, because of the way the, the, the King James Version spits it out there, we think that God looked down at Adam one day and saw him walking around the garden all by himself and all lonely and depressed. And God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Like God made a mistake and woke up one day and thought, ooh, whoops, I'm going to fix this and creates a wife for him. Man was put in the garden by himself to establish a precedent. The precedent was you must learn to embrace, to value, to master intimacy with your creator. Because here's a little side note. Until a man can master his relationship with God, he is incapable of mastering one laterally. You can be an okay husband, a so-so dad, but you can't be great until you get it worked out with God. Come on, look at your neighbor, especially if he's a dude, and go, get it dialed in, brother. That's what God said. I created an environment. The environment is saturated with my presence, and now I'm going to put man in, and first and foremost, here's the glory of man. To reflect the presence of God. We want to do so much else, but we want to do it from a place that doesn't empower us to do it. We want to exercise dominion. But exercising dominion when you have an established intimacy in the place of God's presence becomes a striving, difficult idea. But here's how effortless it was when man did it from within his garden, permeated in the presence of God. See, here's what it amounts to. God essentially says this to Adam. I have created you in my image. I put you, I put you in a perfect home, the Garden of Eden, filled it with my presence, and I've given you an assignment and a purpose. Make the rest of the planet look like the garden. From within that place that is permeated with my presence, you will co-rule with me the rest of creation to expand this heaven on earth. That could be an empowering or a sobering question, depending on where you're at. Here's a question that's legitimate, though. If the rest of the world looked like my house, where would we be? Somebody just said, good Lord, we'd be in World War IV already. But that was the assignment. The glory of man was his purpose. His purpose was to stand in that garden, and the way you rule when you are doing it from a place within his presence is effortless. It's by decree. Because God said to Adam, listen, 
I know, I told you to subdue the earth, to have dominion over it, to address it. But you don't have to run all over the globe to make that happen. You stand, the Bible said God put him in a certain place in his garden, saturated by his presence. God put him in the middle of it and said, I'm going to bring creation to you. And everything in due season will pass in front of you and you will exercise dominion over it. God said, I'm going to pass creation in front of you and to see what you'll call it. And the Bible said that God said, when Adam called a thing a thing, that's what heaven stood behind. And God said, Adam just said that that was a so-and-so. Hey, y'all listen, from now on, for as long as time exists, that is a so-and-so. Dominion from a place of his presence, dominion from within your garden is an effortless thing. If... If you have taken seriously the revelation and the access that God has given each and every one of us to restore the glory of Eden, being in our homes. See, the challenge, as I see it, it's my opinion, you can do whatever you want with it, is I think there's too big of a gap between what life feels like here. And then what you and I have to walk into Monday through Saturday to work all this out in. Everybody looks like they're the head and not the tail in here. You all look like you have the victory this morning. Everybody looks like a child of God in here. You can walk in here in the middle of the week with nobody in here. You have to open the door with the key, turn the alarm off, walk in here, and you will still feel the presence of God. So much so at times that you're going to have to hang on to some. That presence is still in this place. When you and I are here, we enjoy it. When you leave, it's still here. But here's, here's what I contend. I contend there shouldn't be any difference between what the experience of walking into your house is like compared to what it feels like to walk into this place on a Sunday morning. You say, well, in here, everybody loves each other. But in here, we've suspended all of our troubles and trials and we're just in here worshiping God. I just need three people to say, come on, preacher, preach. The reason for the assertive pursuit of thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven is because it, it, there, there is a difference between just the presence and the glory. I mentioned that earlier. The presence or the presence is an awareness of God. But his glory is his presence having converted itself into his attributes on display. Your house should feel more like the Garden of Eden than the church does. Come on, high five your neighbor and say, all right. 
I gave you a safe response for all those who are not ready to amen me yet. Just say, all right, come on. High five them and say, all right. Now, let me get to my message. As, as much as the Garden of Eden was a place, it also speaks of a state of existence. It is man existing in the environment that God created for him with the realization that outside of that environment and the functionality and the facilitation in that environment, outside of that, it is impossible for me to exist. Meaning I can't do anything that I'm supposed to be doing outside of his presence. Some of us have gotten accustomed. We've adjusted. We've, we've, we've adjusted enough so that we're comfortable in our dysfunction and we're okay with the subpar performance. Because we've given it our best effort and that's the best it would produce. And so we've settled. Well, I guess that's what it is. It's different when you do it from within his presence. So man gets kicked out of the garden. He's denied access with a cherubim, with a flaming sword, guarding the entrance to the garden after man fell. God kicks him out of the garden and puts a cherubim with a flaming sword at the entrance. Isn't it interesting that it's also cherubim that face each other, covering the mercy seat, signifying that the very thing that denied man access in the first place and kept him out is now the very thing that says, listen, the doors have been opened again. Get back here. Get back to your garden. Look at your neighbor and say, get back to your garden. Come on, folks, listen, you were not, you were made, you were not made to be ruled over. You were not made. You're not wired to be subservient to anything or anybody. There's no ethnic group. There's no people group. There's no person on the earth anywhere at any time in any situation that was meant to be ruled over. That's why you're so discombobulated. That's why you're so out of sync and out of rhythm because you are fine. You find yourself in a capacity in life that you are not wired for. You're not wired to be ruled by lack. You are not wired to be ruled by hostility and unforgiveness. You're not wired. Listen, anything less than, than dominion, it chafes us. That's why, that's, that's what God told Israel when Israel said, we want somebody to rule over us. And God said, where did you get that idea from? That is a secondary consequence of sin. Is the need to be ruled over or to be subservient to something. And Israel said, well, the other nations do that. And God said, okay, you want that so bad? Let me give you a king, but I'm going to tell you up front just exactly how this is going to go. Not very well. You were not made to be subservient to anything. I pre-wired you. I created you to live and walk in a place of dominion over everything. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. Relax, because I'm going to tell you up front, I'm not talking about evaluating every single circumstance. Not everybody's house is like, you know, Pastor Irvin's, where they get up in the morning and him and his wife are just speaking in tongues as soon as they get out of bed. Not every home can be like Pastor Anthony, where they sit at the breakfast table and prophesy and interpret, interpret tongues and, you know. And not everybody can be like our family where, you know, we, we, well, that's stupid. 
We walk around our house sometimes and we're so caught up in the glory, we can't even feel our feet touch the ground. I'm kidding. I'm going to confess. I'm an open book. We had a little spat yesterday and I pouted all day. It wasn't really a spat. I just was being stupid about something. And I pouted all day. While I'm doing these notes for you, I I finally had to go into my wife yesterday evening. I said, baby doll, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not talking about, because I think that's what we do. We look at all the symptoms in our house that are unlike Christ. And so we try to work those and fix those and what have you. Listen, every, Jesus had 12 guys. Jesus was his own mobile Garden of Eden. He was the manifestation of heaven on this earth. And 12 guys stayed in his presence for three and a half years and, and messed up a time or two. I'm not talking about getting all that worked out. That that will be a secondary consequence of you establishing your home and the standard for what it's supposed to be. Somebody say amen. So here's here's three things, and I'm going to go to Revelation 22, and we're going to be done in just a moment. Because that's the crux of it. There's an environment. That was created for me. The primary characterization in that environment is the manifest presence of God. And only in that environment can I function. Why would that refer to church? But then not the place where we spend 98% of our time. And I contend that we can continue praying that for the rest of our lives, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, in a collective sense in the church. And we may do that until we're blue in the face. If when we go home, we go home to situations that the prayer we're praying for the world, we haven't even managed to make it work in our house. How can you declare the lordship of Jesus over a territory, over a community, over a government, over a state, when you can't even work it out between you and that spouse and that little brat? I'm kidding. Relax. Number one. The right environment in a carnal sense or just a natural sense. Every man in this building knows that if the goal is intimacy with your spouse, the requisite for that is to pay attention to the environment. Y'all are going to make me go into it, right? You don't just bust in the door and say, hey, baby, you want a piece of me? <laughs> you stink. You got grease under your fingernails. You haven't showered, nasty, dirty clothes on. You still think you're so sexy. She's going to come busting down the stairs. Maybe some of you do it that way. Maybe that's why you're so unhappy here today. It's all over your face. Magic marker right there. You know what to do. 
You clean house, first of all, and you let her see you do that. Little tip, guys, let her see you do that. Nothing sexier than a man sweeping the floor and mopping and vacuuming. Oh, Lord. The first times half of you ladies have opened your mouth to say amen all morning. But man, am I right? Clean house. (laughs) Pastor Tim down here waving me off. Say, come on. No, no. I mean, you you pitch in. You you do some dishes and whatever. And then you, you, you get some candles and you light the candles and the kind that smell real Real nice and sexy. And then you put Bishop uh, Bishop Barry White on. Right? And then it's like, baby, turn the lights down low. You create environment first that is conducive to intimacy. Shandai. We think we can just make our declarations in here and then go home and not pay any attention. We'll put a guard dog in our yard to keep an intruder out. We'll turn on sophisticated systems and alarms to keep an intruder out. But what happens when the serpent wants to slither in? What have you put in your house to make sure that the environment does not get compromised, whether you're home or you're not home? Look at your neighbor and say, create environment. The environment has to be what, what is conducive to his presence. Worship music playing all throughout the house. You say, well, we do that in my prayer time. I'm not talking about your prayer time. I'm talking about all the time. When you leave, the house is empty. Oh, I'm trying to conserve electricity, blah, blah, blah. Shut up. (laughs) Save 72 cents on your next light bill is more important than keeping the serpent out of your garden. In other words, what, have you, what are you doing to purge the environment and make sure you're tilling your garden and keeping it? And a holy hush descends on the crowd. Set atmosphere. Parents, pay attention. Lord, I know this is, a, oh God, I'm running out of time. James, come help me. I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm free until the keyboard plays anyway because the Holy Spirit don't move until the keyboard plays. I'm kidding. Man, when I was a kid, I know you hate these kind of, you have already turned me off when I started that line, right? We were made to go to church. My mother would bust in my room anytime she felt like it. To make sure that in my eight-track deck and my stack of eight-track tapes, see, I'm dating myself. That was hot then. That there wasn't nothing in there but Lanny Wolf and a couple of praise and worship stuff. Anything else? I mean, she would take it out of my room and wait till I got home and make sure I saw her stomp it while she's 
speaking in tongues and quoting scripture. Posters. When I was a kid, one of my friends at school, he snuck, uh, brought to school, and that was way back in the day. Charlie's Angels was hot, right? And he gave me a Farrah Fawcett poster. I thought my mother would kill me. But I've never seen her go in my closet and look on the inside of my closet doors. So I hung it up on the inside of my closet doors. Some of y'all looking at me, that's a disgusting look. Don't judge me. I was 12. My mother came in there and found that and yanked that off the wall, put it in a pot, kitchen on the stove, waited till I got home. She let me see her burn that thing. Listen, I am shocked. None of you, because none of you have ever invited me to your house. You for sure won't now. But anyway, how families in California, I'm shocked. Walking into the home sometimes of spirit-filled, God-loving, God-chasing husband and wife, mom and dad, and go home and look at what they've permitted inside their house. And you've become subservient to things that ought not be in your house. Mm. Look at your neighbor and say, move on. Number two is the right relationship. First of all is the right environment. Second is the right relationship. And I'm speaking of intimacy with this presence, not just created, we're created to worship. Sometimes it's hard to separate that from the act that we do when we're in here together. But where you are created for worship, yes, but in its deepest consideration, you are created for intimacy. In the cool of the day, in that environment, every day, the breath of God came in a concentrated way, and Adam sat there, immersed in the presence of God. It's a state that we exist in continually, where His presence is always activated. And number three is the right purpose, which means walking in dominion. Here's what that looks like. John thought in chapter 21 and 22 of Revelation, John thought he was going to get a glimpse. He thought what he was looking at when God began to show him things, he thought he was looking at Eden. Eden restored, the glory of Eden. And the Bible said that he, he, he basically said, he said this, Lord, uh, uh, show me the, 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 that, that city. And the Bible said that, he said, I, John, the heavens were open and I, John, saw coming out of heaven or down from heaven, the new Jerusalem. Here's what happened. I'm going to summarize this for you because I'm out of time. John thought he was seeing Eden. And God showed him a city that was not a city, but was the church described as a bride adorned for her husband. And then describes what life in a restored environment of Eden really looks like. Picking up in Revelation 22, it says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. Look at your neighbor and say, The river of the water of life. That means when your home has been designated as your garden of Eden, it means the Holy Spirit flows on a daily basis. Not just twice a year when you're on your 21-day fast, but it flows Daily, Come on, somebody. 
as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding fruit every month. Look at your neighbor and say, there's fruitfulness that doesn't come to an end. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Look at your neighbor and say, there's healing in my garden. Here's a good one. There will no longer be any curse. Tell your neighbor, there's no curse in my garden. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve. Look at your neighbor. This ought to be a good one, if you, especially if, well, I was going to say if you got teenagers, but this is good for you too. Look at him and say, there's no ego in my garden. Because the nature of God, which is to serve, is what permeates that. And it said, his servants will serve him. Then they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. Look at your neighbor and say, there's no darkness in my garden. Weeping has endured for a night, but joy is coming into my garden. The Lord God, there'll be no need for the light of a lamp or the light of the sun for the Lord God will give them light. Look at your neighbor and say, there's continual revelation in my garden and they will reign forever and ever. Listen, y'all stand with me. If you would look at your neighbor and you say, I'm higher level than this. Just trying to scrape by and make sure that there's, you know, it's not blatant ungodly activity in my home and you know try to make it less like the world and what you're higher level than that it's you're not supposed to be on the defensive just trying to ward off all these demonic attacks and whatever so that you can somehow have some sort of peace of mind it's supposed to be more than that that's not just this isn't survival island this is the kingdom of heaven manifested on the earth You really can. Pastor, I have strived and I have worked and I have sought God and gone after it. Maybe because you've tried to fulfill the purpose of God, but you did it from outside the environment that God had created for you to do it in. Trying to exercise dominion and authority outside of his presence is a exhausting maneuver. When you're in your garden and standing in the middle of his presence, then you just say, uh, that will be a giraffe. God says, hey, creation, listen. He just said, that's a giraffe. Write it down. That's a giraffe. That looks like a horse. Hey, that will now be a horse. Standing there in due time, due season. God facilitating his ability to reign and walk in dominion. Don't be symptomatic. Don't go after, you know, my mother, bless her heart, and my mother's still alive, and she's a woman of God and a tough, fighting, spirited woman. And when my dad had lost his way and my parents split up, you know, we, my mother was going to just determine to have family devotions. I'm not talking, well, let me tell you what I'm talking about. First of all, she got us all in the bedroom around her bed. And we all kneel down on the bed and we start praying. Well, here's the problem. It, it took mom 30 minutes just to warm up. 
Because the first 30 minutes were, oh, glory. Oh, Jesus. Oh, 30 minutes later, oh, Jesus. And, I, you know, I'd already repeated the Lord's Prayer seven times in the first three minutes. I'm done. Me and my sisters go to picking at each other. My mother could get to, she could be praying in tongues and Shandai and Selamahanda by me, Yamaha, do it, speaking in tongues and reach over and pinch the fire out of me and never miss a beat. Just keep right on going. Family altars and devotions, they were a chaotic nightmare. That's what they turned out to be. I'm not talking about going home after today and going, listen, all of you ornery kids, you're going to act right. You may need to look at yourself in the mirror first and point at you and go, you need to get it right. I'm talking about walking into your house and decreeing, first of all, embracing the fact that you've been given access back into the garden. And the garden, once again, has manifested in your home. And you declare, my house will be a sacred place. This is my garden of Eden. and The presence of God dwells here. Nothing outside of God dwells in this place. 